This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Michelle Bonds from Amarillo, Texas, and you are listening to the monthly Mustang Heritage Foundation episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 6th. This episode is brought to you by Mustang Heritage Foundation. Good morning, Horse World. The first Tuesday of the month is all about America's horse, the Mustang, hosted by the Mustang Heritage Foundation. Well, Michelle, I get to hang out with you for a little bit today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. I'm so glad to have you, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) It is the first Tuesday of the month, which means it's Mustang Day here on Horses in the Morning. And Alex will be on the show. He he had to cut out uh, for an important meeting right now. That's why I'm stepping in. But he was around for the interviews we did with the guests. Tell us who's coming up on today's show. So on today's show, we are actually going to hear from Amber and Isidro Espinoza. Um, they are tip trainers, extreme Mustang makeover competitors, um, trainers out of Arizona. And we are also going to hear from Nikki Creasy. She is a burrow trainer, a tip trainer, um, but that focuses on burrows. Um, she is out of Colorado and there are both going to talk about what it's like to accomplish the first touch with a Mustang or a burrow in your training. And how to go about doing that. I'm excited about that because, that, you know, that, that is the first step for everybody to get one, right? Uh, it truly is. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Very good. Well, what is going on? I know that you have a couple of things that we need to talk about as far as the uh, foundation is concerned. Yes. So we have been up to quite a bit over the past month. Um, So I'll just kind of run through what we've got going on. Um, Our bidder applications are now actually open for the Kentucky Extreme Mustang Makeover. That event's happening in June. But if you are interested in bringing one of those competing Mustangs home, then you will need to apply to bid. Um, And you can do that on our website at mustangheritagefoundation.org slash extreme. And that's an online auction, right? It will be held online. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yep. So, yep, wherever you're at, you can bring you get a Mustang and um, just have it shipped to you. Cool. Very good. Um, and then the other exciting things that we have happening, um, we just opened, um, we're having an open show in May. It's actually a virtual show. Um, we did a couple of these last year. They were really successful. So if you have a Mustang and you are interested in competing in the open show, that application is open. Those entry forms are open as well. You can also find those on our website. Um, And then we will be releasing details really soon about the Oklahoma City Extreme Mustang Makeover Open Show. Um, That event will be really exciting. It'll be in conjunction with the Extreme Mustang Makeover. And that open show, we actually have $5,000 added. So you've got a Mustang. That's where you'll want to be in August. And now our first guests are Amber and Isidro Espinoza. They own and operate Isidro Espinoza Horsemanship um, out of Arizona. They're also tip trainers and extreme Mustang makeover competitors. Um, and we're going to hear from them about um, what it's like to start training a Mustang and accomplish that first touch. Well, hi there, Amber and Isidro. Great to speak with you today. Hello. 
We're so very excited to have you on the show today talking to us about uh, the first touch uh, with a Mustang. Uh, so before we dive into the specifics and particulars of that, uh, why don't you tell us and the audience a little bit about yourselves and your background with horses? Um, so I grew up with horses. I've been riding since I was two. Um, my mom was into horses and I started showing horses at eight, um, mostly hunter jumper stuff. And then in 2007, I thought it'd be fun to train a wild Mustang. I always wanted to do it. So I adopted my first one in 2007. I still have him. He just turned 16. I got hooked after that. And then in 2016, I said, why not do a extreme Mustang makeover? It was the day before entries closed. And um, then that's where I really got to uh, start to see what uh, opportunities Mustang Heritage Foundation offered. Uh, and we've been going full steam ahead ever since then, just growing our, our training business from that. Okay, yeah. I started working with the horses. Horses are mule is when I, a little one, when I started walking, started riding horses. And then all the time, I started in, in Mexico, Durango, Mexico. And then coming here, I started continuing with the horses, and, the, and then I started with the, the, the Mustangs. For me, the Mustangs is the same way we, I do in Mexico with the, the horses, the mules there, because it's, there we, we kept them in the, in the wild, too. They lose for three months all and start catching in the corrales and start working. And for me, the Mustangs is the same, same method we use. It. And because it's easy for me to start training the horses because I know how to start, but continue. I like how work with the horses because they really attach you really smart horses. You had some experience with uh, not American Mustangs, but uh, wild horses down in Mexico. That's that's really, really cool. I, I didn't know that yeah. about you, Cedro. That's that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about, um, so you've you worked with domestic horses. It sounds like both of you have. Um, so what's it like with a first touch for a Mustang? How How is that different? Kind of walk us through that. Yeah, well, well they... Okay, they, but they is the why they don't want it, people touch show the horses touch it. But when they when you touch the horses, you can see the difference when they they start like trust you, and then they want to accept you. Some horses they take a time for accepting you, but they accept you in some point. And when they accept you, they start trust you more. You can do everything with the horses. They. They start, sometimes they protect you. The horses really, really nice horses. What's kind of cool is like we just picked up our Oklahoma makeover horses on Monday, and we both um, worked with them for the first time yesterday and got our first touches on both of them. Uh, so this is kind of a timely interview. Um, and it's like kind of what Asitter was saying. It's really cool when you see them. Like they're so afraid, and when they kind of get brave enough to kind of reach out um, and then you kind of reach halfway to and touch and, and then they realize that you're not trying to hurt them. Um, just seeing that change in them is, is huge, uh, and, and earning their trust like that. Um, cause you can't really force a whole lot, um, for them to trust you. You have to kind of earn it. And, and it's a really special moment because when you've been able to break through that barrier that they have of space that they need and you both kind of um, come together. Um, it's just a, such an amazing feeling. Um, and uh, it sure made my night to get my mare to touch me last night. 
Um, and I got a great shot of a Sidero's mare touching him just as, as the sun was setting. It was pretty cool. That sounds very cool. That really, really does. So, so it sounds like there's, uh, almost instantaneously you start to form that bond with those first touches. Uh, I mean, what is it the same process with every horse that you've trained? Is it always, you know, you, you get a Mustang and within two days you're, you're having that first touch or is it more involved? I mean, a lot of our listeners may have never worked with a Mustang before in their lives. So what walk us through that. Is it always the same? Okay, son, son, it's diff, not different because son, you t- you keep it like two, three days for can touch. It's on, and the first day they they accept your touch. When they smell you, they okay, you can touch me. But some horses they some take one, three days, more than three days. It's, yeah, for for us, we just kind of read the horse. I think you learn a lot um, about your horse when you're kind of doing that dance to try and get that first touch. Uh, they'll kind of tell you what they need. Uh, and, and our method is, is we don't set them any kind of set program um, or method. Uh, we kind of let the horse tell us what they're comfortable with, and we try and follow their lead. Uh, we've been really successful doing that. Um, but, yeah, it's, you learn so much about them just by how they're wanting to approach you or letting you approach them um, in those first moments. Um, but for us, it's it's really hard for us to tell somebody how to do it because it really depends on each horse that's so unique, their personality, their experiences. Uh, and so we try to really read them and adjust ourselves to what they need. Sounds like, you know, you build that trust. They, they come, they, they interact with you. How, how do you go about doing that? I've heard some of our trainers sit in the middle of the round pen and read children's stories to them. Some sing, some play music. I mean, how how do you actually go through and facilitate that first touch? Energy means everything. The energy when you're going up to that horse, the energy they're giving you. They have thresholds, and you have to be really observant of just watching that you don't. You push those thresholds enough to create change, but not enough where you send them into flight or something. Um, the very first thing we try to do is get their attention on us. So if they're looking away or looking or running around or looking at um, outside or looking at other horses, we're not going to get a first touch because they're not wanting to engage. So the very first thing is you get them to look at you, whether that's like what a sitter does, he ropes them, puts a little pressure on, on them with the rope, and then they turn and look at him, and then that's what he wants. He wants that attention and not to run away. So we don't want to teach them to run away. And then once they start getting a little curious about us, then that's when that, that first touch moment um, will get closer. And then sometimes we get greedy. I got a little greedy last night, and I was like, oh, she's almost there. And I pushed her a little too hard and sent her away. So uh, we have to be, you know, there's a lot of self-discipline, not get greedy, and kind of let them meet you kind of halfway. So uh, did you want to say something else, babe? Yeah, I, you want, when you want to start touching you can start with the the rope, the little rope, like drop it like in the bag, and they start. Okay, this is no hurt me. They start. Then they start start running. Transition with the rope uh, to the hands. Transition the rope to the hand. Yeah, the hand, and then you can do something different. Because I had, I had one. What is it, bolsa? A bag. A one bag, like really soft bag. Oh, burlap sack. That that thing that hurt a lot because really soft does no. Not in the pressure, you drop it like like 
feather, push feather like this. If I start stretching, they say, oh, that's, that's fun. And then you can start touching with that one because some horses, they buy you. I use that thing, they smell it, they don't want to buy me. I translation with my hand because they don't want to put it in my hand in the body. Uh, so he's saying like some of the horses, like he will have to, will start touching with a rope or he's a burlap sack that's really soft um, that he'll kind of throw and touch him with that uh, so that there's still space between us uh, or the horse and the, and the trainer. Um, and, and they'll, a lot of them will accept the touch from an object before touch from hand and you can work your way up to the hand. That's why I said, just let the horse kind of tell you how to approach them. If there's just too much space and you can't get that close to them, sometimes touching them with an object and then transitioning to your hand is the way to go. Amber, I have a quick question kind of going off of that. Um, how does the first, I would assume then that the first touch kind of, informs you of your next steps in training. What does that look like? Is is that true? Does it kind of tell you, okay, this is where I need to go next or give you an idea of how much the horse is going to allow? Yeah, because sometimes the first touch isn't even on the nose. It could be the shoulder or the neck or um, something like that. And so um, it'll just kind of direct us on which part of their body to go to next. Um, I like to do the head first, but I've had ones that that'll present their shoulder or something. Um, and so I'll start with my hand uh, and then um, generally get to the next object would be getting a halter on them. Um, and so you start prepping them for that. Uh, but it really depends on the horse as far as what part of their body they're going to allow you to touch. And then that way you can just start to expand on different parts of their body from that initial, like you'll start at that spot they're okay with and then just expand from there. And then once you can kind of start touching most of their their front half of their body, you could work mm-hmm. toward getting a halter out and letting them look at the halter and touching them with the halter um, and, and moving from there. For me, when I touch the horses, I look at touching the middle of the two eyes. The area, they start like more calm down. They start like attaching more to me, like putting more tension. And then they accept it more touching the body. So you both touched on this a little bit, but I'm really kind of curious to just hear a little bit more about this. So you talked about like the self-discipline and the patience that it takes, but what does like as a trainer, I mean, like the feeling when you accomplish that first touch, like what, what does that actually feel like for you? Like, I feel like I would be like wanting to jump up and down, but obviously, like you said, self-discipline. So so for me, it's, it's a combination of like, a, like joy and and relief because I'm like, okay, I kind of know, you know, we, we just crossed that. It's a huge barrier. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of cross that, I get relief. And, and we have found that we do shorter sessions, especially in the beginning. We don't do really long sessions. We keep them more interested that way, I think. Um, like my Oklahoma mare right now, I'm probably going to go in there and just do like a short session, maybe two or three times a day. Um, building her confidence. But yeah, I get this. It's just, for me, it's a feeling of kind of relief. Um, I was um, injured really bad at the very beginning of gentling one once, and I wasn't listening to the horse. The horse was just telling me exactly what the horse wanted. So I have um, had to kind of restart that part of training again, uh, because I would just stand there petrified and couldn't move. Um, So I've, I've, this is probably only maybe the second or third ones that I've been able to kind of start without a lot of Isidro's help um, at that stage. 
So my biggest thing is just listen to your horse, really listen to what they're telling you if something's too much pressure. Um, and uh, don't don't think you have to have a time limit or seeing what other people are doing and you're not doing it right. You have your own dance to do with this horse. And that first touch is, touch is definitely a big barrier where they just start to soften and really start to accept you a little bit more. Um, do you want to talk about what you feel when you get the first touch, babe? Okay, for me, my first touch, I feel like, I don't know how how explain it, but... So as the, so I see this um, uh, quite a bit on, you know, social media and things, um, following the different, I mean, following you guys on social media and things. So the first touch is obviously a big deal. And then one of the other things that I see a lot is the um, removal of the tag. And I'm sure this is a per- just like a personal thing, but I'm curious, what is more exciting for you, the removing of the tag or that first touch? So I think we might be a little different than a lot of Mustang trainers in the tag to us is completely irrelevant. It literally goes in a pile or in the trash or they're, they're flying around here everywhere. Like some people are, <laughs> Oh, they save all of them. We don't, that, that is nothing. What we do, they all get a name pretty much right away. They are now, they're named to us. That tag is irrelevant. It's nothing more than a halter. And so that's not important. Like I, we take off the tag. It's whatever. It's like we took off a halter. To me, that first touch where they let you really kind of into their little space, that's the biggest moment because they're starting to accept you at that moment. The the tag to me is, I mean, somebody at BLM threw a tag on them. You know what I mean? That's, that's nothing, um, I don't know, that's not that important to me because when they choose to touch me and let me touch them, that's different than I'm in a shoot and somebody put a tag on me. Um, but yeah, I can kind of see how some, and it's funny because a lot of Mustang trainers think we're funny because we're, I'm like, they're like, Oh, where's their tag? And I'm like, Oh gosh, I don't know. Oh, cause I know a lot of the owners will want them. Like we tip a horse out or even our makeover horses. And we're like, Oh shoot, what do we do with that one? <laughs> it's so other than those little strings can be really handy sometimes for some other stuff, but we just, they're they're just completely irrelevant to us. So we're a little weird that way, I think. At least I have found talking to other trainers. How do you feel about okay, the tag and then Okay, for me the tag I I remove because I know when I know when in the middle where you rope the horses, I know when they they make that pressure on there, it's a scary the rope. Whereas because it's removed or not in the middle because sometimes when you bend it or the the it's the, the, the tags in the way the tag they give you the pressure and it is the horse is, is working different Maybe because I removed that one and the one in the middle. No, I just know that like it's a really big moment for a lot of people, but for us, like the moment that we get them, like we name them all right away. They're, they're named us. They were never a number. So my question was, do, are they named before you get the first touch or do you get the first touch and then they get a name or do the names change after you first touch them? We no, we usually they got a name when they're in our trailer. We're headed home. They got a name. Very cool. Yeah, sometimes I've done a competition where, like, I'll let somebody name and I'll pick a name out, but I've already usually had one in my in my head or something like that, or refer to them as their color or something like that. But otherwise, they they get a name pretty quick, and they're they're just a name to us now. They're not a, a number. 
I love that. I think that's that's really neat. Um, that's a really good point because, like you said, the BLM puts the the number on, so they're not a number anymore. So, I think that's really neat. Um, I did want to make sure Amber and Asijo and have y'all share with us your um, social media. I follow your page, and I think you all do a great job of sort of explaining your training process, sharing all of the different mustangs that you have. So, will you make sure and share with us um, where people can find you? Uh, sure, we're on um, we're on Facebook, Isidro Espinosa Horsemanship. We're on Instagram, same thing, Isidro Espinosa Horsemanship. Um, and then we have our YouTube, same name, uh, and we have a TikTok. <laughs> I've been playing with the TikTok, um, and it's IE Horsemanship um, on TikTok, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, we like to interact with people on social media. They're able to kind of follow our horses and what we're up to and, and interact with us if they like. Um, we also have a, a Patreon group that we kind of really do like um, more hands-on stuff. Question, you know, answer, people can ask us questions. We'll answer them, do live question and answer sessions. We'll do um, exclusive videos just for them. Like they can say, hey, can you make a video about this? And then we will. Um, so that's been a lot of fun um, for a lot of our fans to be able to um, get a little more personal interaction and more help with their horse. Um, and we've been doing a lot more virtual lessons, too, with people wanting us to watch them and see how they're what they're working on with their Mustang. And and then we can just kind of tell them what to do or what to change since we're, we can't always do hands on stuff, um, not just from distance, but COVID stuff. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It sounds like uh, you've got uh, some more work to do with these uh, Oklahoma City EMM horses you've got. So we'll let you get back to it. But thank you so much for joining us today and uh, can't wait to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You guys have a wonderful day. Are you ready to change a life today? When you support the mission of the Mustang Heritage Foundation to help bring more Mustangs and burros home, you change the life of a Mustang or burro by helping them find a life outside of holding. Since 2007, the Mustang Heritage Foundation has brought home more than 16,000 Mustangs and burros through innovative programs and events that help showcase the heart, versatility, and grit of Mustangs and burros. Despite our success, nearly 50,000 Mustangs and burros still remain in holding, waiting to find homes. Donate today and help change the lives of even more Mustangs and Burrows at mustangheritagefoundation.org slash donate. And next up, um, we're going to hear from Nikki Creasy. Um, she is a tip trainer and a tip storefront operator out of Colorado. Um, Nikki is a little unique in that she focuses on adopting and training Burrows. Let's start off with, tell us and the audience just a little bit about yourself, where you're located, um, and kind of how you got involved with horses and burros. Uh, yeah, well, as you said, my name is Nikki. Um, I'm here on the front range of Colorado. Um, I have the burro storefront um, that I gentle burrows through. I also have five BLM Mustangs and a BLM burro and a domestic great horse as well. Um, I've been a lifelong lover of horses, um, but never had a donkey or burrow until I adopted my own BLM burrow here in, in Colorado. Okay. So how did you get involved with the burrows? What, I guess, attracted you to the burrows versus, you know, the Mustangs or other horses? Um, yes. Yeah, so um, I moved from Texas back to Colorado about seven years ago, and 
I had thought that becoming a tip trainer for Mustangs would be a really cool thing to do to kind of help the the issues that they're facing and just a really cool job to have. But um, I adopted my own burrow because I had um, a small herd of alpaca at the time and didn't uh, want a llama. I kind of get scared by llamas. <laughs> and I needed, I needed a creature that could bond with them and be a leader and um, help them stay safe um, when they were out on, on pasture. So I adopted my first burrow. Her name is Hannah May, uh, back in 2016 at a Mustang makeover event. And um, at the time, there was a program called Burrow Incentive Program that was operating. And um, once I realized how much I liked my burrow, I thought this could be really cool to gentle burrows instead of Mustangs. Um, it seemed that there was nobody else doing it. Um, shortly after that program dissolved and Mustang Heritage Foundation um, up to, you know, took up burrows as well into their program and here we are six years later. Um, yeah, we're almost <laughs> 200 burrows. <laughs> almost wow. 200 burrows under my belt. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That is, that is truly amazing. So tell me a little bit um, about, so we, earlier we spoke to um, Amber and Isidro Espinoza about, you know, what it's like to accomplish the first touch with a Mustang. Um, but I'm really curious and really want to hear your perspective of what it's like to accomplish that moment with a burrow. Uh, well, um, it's different for every burrow. I have to say that they're so very different from horses. And they're also very different from each other that it's very hard to give a conclusive answer. Um, I'd really like to talk a little bit to the difference between a borrow and a horse, if I may, in that aspect. Is yeah, that okay? yeah, yeah. We would love to hear that. Yeah. Well, I mean, fundamentally, I think that um, my training techniques with horses were always based on what we know as natural horsemanship, you know, uh, pressure and release. And um, I always, I just assumed that that would work with a burrow as well. Well, it, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, at the beginning especially, because um, they're very different. They're not just small horses. They think differently and they act differently. Um, I'll tell you, I have a very good friend who uh, was a sea world trainer for many years. and she always wondered why operant conditioning didn't wasn't used in horses. Um, what we really know as positive reinforcement now, um, clicker training in dogs, um, it's something that's used throughout the the zoo and the um, uh, sanctuary world for for mammals and all large zoo creatures. And and um, horses never really were treated in that way until recently. Um, it's become quite popular now, and you may know of Mustang. Ma um, sorry, you may know of Mustang Maddie. She's really helped me understand a lot about how operant conditioning works and positive reinforcement. So I tell you all this because I've learned that with burrows, you really cannot make them do anything. You really can't. You have to kind of ask and wait and listen. Um, and I found that using positive reinforcement techniques really is the key to working with them. 
And so the very beginning stage of gaining a seeking response, i.e. inducing curiosity in a a burrow, is very different to how it would be with a Mustang. And and I, you know, I'm not saying you can approach in different ways, but generally using question release is the accepted way to create that curiosity in a Mustang. Whereas with a burrow, I found over the years that honestly food is the primary communication tool to create that curiosity. Um, and of course, burrows don't need, don't know what carrots are in the wild. They don't know what alfalfa is. So using uh, food with a very high um, rate of reinforcement, like carrots, something that's really sweet and good, and mixing it with their hay in the beginning, allows them to um, become curious about people and how, you know, how much fun we can be. And um, it's a gradual process, but once a burrow will accept fruit from your hand, uh, a piece of carrot from your hand, generally you're on track to being able to approach and indeed do that first touch. Um, I also want to stress that using food as that first communication is very different to using it in the training concept because um, none of, nobody wants a burrow that will mug you for food. Right. And so transferring, yeah, transferring what you use to create that interest, curiosity in the beginning into using it as a reinforcer is a really important part of understanding the process. That that's um, it's really neat to hear about the the difference as you're explaining between you know those different training methods between you know primarily horses and then burrows. When you kind of accomplish that those first kind of steps, you know maybe they are finally interested in um, the food. They're showing the curiosity, and then you eventually finally get that first touch on that burrow. What is like what is that like for you as a trainer? Uh, well, of course, it's it's exhilarating and it never really changes, you know, the the ability to be able to um, lay your hands on a wild burrow is, is, it's just magical. It really is very, very rewarding and um, earning enough trust to be able to scratch their neck and take off that BLM tag is really, really rewarding. And, and of course, then being able to rub their face enough and gain enough trust that you can apply um, a head halter is it's just the ultimate reward. And sometimes it takes um, not very long to get to that point. Sometimes it takes a long time to get that point, a long time. And, and you know, some people choose to pick up their burrow with a halter on already. And I certainly can't fault that because it does accelerate the, the rate at which you can um, help the donkey, uh, the burrow, understand what you want. But there really is nothing like being able to apply the halter at liberty and be able to um, understand that the donkey is trusting you to do that. My wife and I have a a burrow named Wendell that we adopted back in 2015. And yeah, you're 100% correct. Uh, Food is a giant motivator for them. So I'm curious in your experience, because I've had limited experience with 
boroughs outside of the one that we own. Do you see any difference between males, females, age? I, I mean, what's the is it kind of just the general consensus is food is the primary motivator or, you know, talk to me about that a little bit. Sure. Um, I asked this question a lot by doctors. So um, age, gender, for the most part, I really don't think um, it makes a lot of difference. I think they're within, within all age groups and all genders, they're, uh, all genders, both genders, there are um, huge differences depending on, obviously, where the borough came from, whether it's been exposed to people or not, whether it's experienced any people caused trauma in the wild, because I'm sure that happens, whether, um, you know, how it's been handled throughout the gather process and any kind of other um, influences that the borough has had, other than boroughs that are born in holding facilities, um, I think that there's a huge amount of, of variation within all of that. And and I have had, you know, youngsters here, male and female, and can never predict which is going to be easier or harder. Also, I've had seniors all the way into their mid-20s, and some of those old geldings, of course, they've only just been gelded, and they've lived as um, intact stallions on the range for, for 20 years. You would think that they would be incredibly frightening <laughs> but some of them have turned out to be the, the biggest you know soft puppy dogs um and then i've had other six seven year olds males and females that honestly i would think would kill me given half the chance um most of the time they come around and they they end up being real sweet too um not every borough is uh, end up being uh, in your pocket friendly and great some don't um, I would say that the majority do, probably 85% of what I gentle ends up being very loving. Nikki, I have a, a kind of a follow-up question off that, um, and I may be kind of going backward here, backwards here a little bit, but I've had the opportunity to visit your facility and kind of watch you work with the boroughs and everything, and I remember something that you spoke about was that boroughs will also wear as you know, a horse may, they're kind of fight or flight. A burrow will kind of make, I don't remember exactly how you termed it, but it kind of like freeze up a little bit. How do you set them up for success during a training session to kind of help avoid that? Yeah, that's a, a really, really good point, Michelle. Um, the, the, the personality of a burrow is different to a horse in that they, for the most part, won't run from any kind of negative exposure or negative experience. They'll tend to stand their ground and look at it and evaluate as opposed to um, run like a horse. Now, that doesn't mean that a burrow can't be reactive. Of course they can. And um, they, will, they will react to stimuli. But there, once you, um, I guess I should break down your question into two parts. Um, the first part being directly what you asked me is how do I set them up for success? Mm-hmm. And in order to create a bonding relationship, I don't ever move their feet like a horse because all it does for a burrow is create 
more fear, more resentment, and they tend to freeze. Like you said, they'll stand their ground and and not move. They'll tuck their tail and cower. And, and it, it doesn't create any kind of relationship as it would with a hat or horse in a round pen. Not to say that pressure and release doesn't work when the burrows are gentle and trained. Um, it does work when people are driving them or pack burrow racing. Of course, pressure and release is very, very important. That initial stage needs to be handled really differently. And so what I do is I set up a 12 by 12 training pen with panels. The burrows have lots of space to roam, but when it's training time, they know they come in and they are rewarded for coming into the pen with some um, low starch grain. Um, when they're in the pen, they know it's when we're beginning to work. And I, I believe it's kind of, it's an antecedent. We set up the scene, make it pleasurable, and they know to trust us in that environment because we try and make everything positive and favorable. And so that's another reason why food is very important because it allows them to relax and chew and all those good things and to release tension. So, yeah, setting them up for success in a training pen is super important. And um, also once finished training, I always give food reinforcement as well so that they associate training with being a positive um, experience. The, the, the saying is that with positive reinforcement and um, and such that you the, the animal wants to continue with the work that you've been doing because they're receiving the positive reinforcer, you know, and it feels good. And so you never really want to just turn and open the gate and allow them just to run away. Um, you want to end up the session with with a positive um, bowl of something good for them. I hope that answered your question, Michelle. That did. That was, um, I, that's what I was really curious about is how you, um, that whole process. And I think you did a phenomenal job of um, explaining that. Um, what, is there anything else you would add that you would just want people to know about burrow, training burrows or, you know, adopting a burrow? Well, one thing that I, I didn't mention, um, I found that a lot of adopters, when they come to see the burrows here, what they want to do is reach out and touch the burrow on its nose and its muzzle and rub the burrow between its eyes, rather like you would with a horse. And I find that, um, that the burrow they have here, whether it's a wild factor or just a donkey thing in general, I think it's a wild um, feature, is that they really don't like that. They don't like their muzzle and their nose being touched until they trust. And so I always encourage people to go into that first touch with um, the back of their hand and with the shoulder, the mane, the wither area, and really get familiar with the burrow from the side first before they try and approach from the front. Um, the other thing that I wanted to speak to really regarding adopting a burrow is that um, my favorite hashtag is it takes the time it takes, you know, um, you really have to be patient with a burrow. You can't rush anything. If they don't want to do it, they certainly won't. And being patient is probably one of the most fundamental um, traits that you have to have in order to succeed with a burrow um, right from the very outset. And I think all the way through going 
into specific training for for its its uh, discipline. Yeah, I think that um, I love that. I think that is a great um, lesson and reminder for all of us as horse as horsemen um, that it takes the time it takes. We cannot force it. Um, right. Well. Nikki, I want to make sure and have you share with our audience um, your how people can find you and how they can follow you. I think you do a great job of educating folks on social media and kind of sharing everything that you do. So, will you just kind of tell us where you, we can, where people can follow you? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, I do do all of my marketing and, and everything to do with my adoption, um, particular adoption program through Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook group by the name of Borough Base Camp, Tip Borough, Colorado. And um, it's a group I can approve people to join um, as, if they request. Um, so, yeah, I share lots of informational posts on there and pictures of the boroughs here and what we're doing. I actually do run a waiting list. So I don't advertise boroughs on the for adoption as a rule. Because my waiting list, um, I fulfill with boroughs that come into the storefront. Um, and of course, on the Mustang Heritage, Heritage Foundation website, there's um, a link to my information as well to be able to reach me directly. Well, they were some great guests. You know, sometimes trainers aren't really good at explaining it so that we can actually understand it. But they were both, they were all three really good at that. Yes, agreed. Um, I, that was, I thought they, they all did great. You know, and it is important that first that first impression, right? Whether you're going on a date or your date <laughs> is a human or a horse, it is important. Yep, it sets the stage for everything, right? <laughs> it really does. It really does. Well, you, where can you find the Her uh, Mustang Heritage Foundation? So you can find us at uh, mustangheritagefoundation.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Mustang Heritage Foundation and Extreme Mustang Makeover. And of course, you can find Horses in the Morning on Facebook or just search for Horses in the Morning. Or you can find us going to horsesinthemorning.com. You can hear past episodes of the Mustang episode. Just go to Horses in the Morning on the homepage, scroll down to the middle, and find the Mustang banner right there. Uh, and you can have all the Horse Radio Network shows wherever you go. On our free app, iPhone or Android, just search for Horse Radio Network. And here's hoping you get to bring a Mustang home. <laughs>